Welcome to the Podcast Maneuver, the officially unofficial podcast for Picard on CBS All Access. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we're here today to talk about Season 1, Episode 2, titled Maps and Legends. Aaron, what do you think? I, I think that um, this episode was saddled with a lot of exposition uh, mm-hmm. to kind of establish. Because uh, last, last week, they kind of kept it nice and breezy to introduce the characters and the essential mystery um and they lean heavily on nostalgia and picard's interactions with dream data and etc um this episode wasn't that smooth and it had some of like uh the worst indulgences of star trek combined with like the worst indulgences (laughs) from a cbs crime scene investigation sure csi ncsi whatever romulan crime scene investigation but that's a lot of that's star trek Mm -hmm. you know like for every clever uh, scene investigation like the one that's really sticks out in my mind is where they went to the uh, planet where jordy and his old crew had been drawn to over time to devolve into this other animal life and they, you know, like did this uh, recreation based on the hol- like, like the footage and found this second shadow and then extrapolated its position like that seemed very cool. This stuff is very much like Batman Arkham City, mm-hmm. you know, like press R2 to witness a cutscene. to how the hell do we reconstruct this? Let's just Romulan molecular forensics. Yeah, it's like the division. I think they do right. that kind of stuff in there. Right. Where it's just like, oh, we can see the residual whatever. Right. And and they have to introduce this like super secret Tal Shiar society of, of super secret. Tal Shiar times 10. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're on double secret Romulan probation. And, uh-huh. uh, and then they've got to get, you know, next episode presumably is going to be Picard coming around. It's like, I got a job for us. And Picard, you son of a bitch, I'm in. Mm hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's still it's still fun to see Picard going around. It was like super entertaining to see him go back to Starfleet headquarters and have the ensign checking people in, have no idea who he is. That, to get the yeah. visitor, <laughs> when he slaps that visitor name name badge on, uh-huh. um, and then having like you know the, the 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 fallout from his kind of stepping out on Starfleet. Um, nobody wants to he bit the hand, and nobody wants mm-hmm. to st- stick it out for him. Uh, and I thought they did some re- some pretty good work, re- re- like revealing some of the players of the, uh, you know, this the shadow government they got running in Starfleet. Um, what what and well, what did you think? Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think uh, I'm really glad I've been watching some Next Generation lately because I coming out of this episode was like, man, that the writing in this sort of just glosses over a lot of things. It lets you just sort of they say things that you just have to take at face value and Picard sure. takes at face value. And I'm thinking I, this is pretty weak stuff. And then I go back and I look at season three of TNG and I'm like, Ooh, there's a lot of weak shit in there too. Yeah. There's a lot of reversing polarity of tachyon. Beams yeah. And, what does that even mean? Yeah. It's magic. It doesn't matter. It's, uh-huh. it's all there to serve the larger, uh, you know, philosoph- philosophical point that they're trying to make. Right. Um, and so I tempered my feelings sort of in the fires of TNG uh-huh. after watching this episode. And I think this feels very Star Trek to me. Yeah. And so yeah. I didn't have a huge problem with it. Uh, I I don't know what to say about this show in the era of like prestige television that we're living in. But as a Star Trek fan, this is still doing it for me. Uh, uh, agreed. Agreed. And we got to see some pretty cool stuff too, along with uh, with like the first scene where we see. Maybe we should just get into it. Yeah, we see first contact day. Mm-hmm. 
and there is a synthetic uprising that destroys the shipyards on Mars. I don't know how much of Mars it destroys. It's implied that it destroys quite a bit of Mars and maybe we, all we, of it. We saw or heard last episode that parts of Mars are still burning because uh-huh. of these exotic uh, materials that they were mining and storing. Yeah, this is, the, this is the event that they mentioned, but we get to see it from the inside here. I think it's just really cool to see like the Utopia Planitia sh- uh, shipyards, which have like you know been name checked a lot. Yeah. And every once in a while, you'll see like a shipyard. But it's always like a single ship being constructed in like this kind of like right. scorpion looking dry dock. But here, it's like you really get to understand that like this is like a massive scale operation. Uh, it's at the heart of the Federation, so it's extremely heavily defended by these badass orbital defense stations, um, and. I also thought it did a pretty good job of kind of like showing how these synthetics are being integrated into Federation society. Like, yeah, you had the singular data and like this F8. Um, I'm trying to think of like, you know, when you picked up data from his his home planet and, and put him into, you know, he went through Starfleet. I wonder like the first couple of weeks of first contact with data, did they just like store him in a closet? Then would he go along with that? He probably would. Right. So like all these guys Probably. are just waiting and the, they're like his and their boss like you know hey plastic people he's, he's he's not really hateful you know he's he's not super but some people no, a kinda, couple of them are yeah some people are are phobic of it mm-hmm. but I also didn't get the idea that that's what caused F eight to flip out it does no. seem like it's the classic data got possessed by some kind of subspace signal from I'm assuming Romulans at this point given everything that happens this episode and that's that's the really interesting thing like why would a faction of the Romulan government be invested in letting billions of Romulans die um, but I mean we can see that in our own history where there's some people that would much rather the world burn than not get their uh, preferential way of society going and maybe uh and and they're like the other thing i didn't know is how long the hatred towards synthetic beings and artificial intelligence ran deep or yeah. how, how how deep it ran in, in romulan culture it's the big question i came away from this episode with yeah. is not you know why the attacks on mars or anything but why the hatred of synthetics from the romulans what is it in their history, because it goes back before this, right? Like, if you assume, okay, the Romulans were behind the Martian, sure, uh, the destruction of Mars, then you have to assume that they had a good reason in their minds for yeah. it. And that hatred of AI goes way back, and I don't understand why. Yeah, and it's it's also a little hard for me because a lot of universes, this isn't a unique sci-fi concept. I mean, this mm. is very uh, Frank Herbert Dune, you know, uh, this is very Warhammer 40K. Usually in those universes where artificial intelligence have been banned, you have some other form to compensate, like you have a, a human that's given some drug that allows their mind to run mm. a thousand times faster, but they're no longer fully human or, or cybernetic. You do or... some kind of cybernetic replacements uh, because it's an unimaginable handicap to not use artificial intelligence yeah. in the 24th century, I would think. Uh, but yet we know that the Romulans have been uh, one of the uh, Starfleet's most implacable, the Federation's most implacable foes going back for, you know, a, a century at least. Uh, and the Romulans Does, and Vulcans both hmm. have been spanning, have been you know star-spanning civilizations for uh, at least several centuries before they made first contact with humans. So hmm. how how did they make that up? Where are the computer analogs in you know like how do they design a starship? Exactly, that's they, what I was thinking. It makes me wonder what starship tech looks like now, right? Because I consider what they were doing on the Enterprise 
to be artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, something that can interpret natural human language and can pull up data, uh, can, can display things, can do things on the ship. It's interacting within human, with humans intelligently. Did that get banned along with the artificial intelligences sure. embodied uh, in androids? Yeah, like how, how Luddite is it? Are there like a thousand yeah. Romulans with like slide rules and on drafting boards, like designing warp cores and new phase, new and they, disruptor they technology? Something about that? Like are, are their computers only do numeric functions? Right. I don't know what that means. This might be magical. They this might be something scientific. <laughs> yeah, essentially. They can, they turn their computers upside down and yeah. it says boobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it. The Romulan equivalent of boobs. <laughs> right. So I don't know. I'm super curious to see where they go with the artificial intelligence portion of this. Would Romulan boobs be pointier and less rounded than their Terran counterparts? Yes. Perhaps. Absolutely. I would think so. Reminds me of the uh, w the, the triangular nipple people of uh, Rick and Morty. <laughs> <laughs> um okay so they so this F8 I mean I this action scene was horrific. I do like when they show there's something that is kind of like similar to like the matrix where it's like the a machine's uh, method of carnage is very precise and yeah. yet horrific. Like he's just taking this mining laser or whatever and is burning their chest cavities straight through mm -hmm. like like five of them in a second and not even thinking about it before he turns the yeah. gun on on itself. I didn't see what it was doing to the walls and stuff. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was punching holes through the entire station. Could be, yeah. I have no idea. Yeah, opening to the vacuum of Mars. Unless Mars has been lightly terraformed, maybe. It looked like maybe it was. I saw some some very bluish-looking yeah. areas. But it's interesting to see this F8 because I, I saw a lot of similarities to, like, uh, you, could, you can see the DNA of, I guess, data here because they have very similar eyes. There's also this, yeah. like, trying to appear more human but not getting oh, it quite right. That smile was definitely not quite right. But the like canonically anytime Data smiled it was always very very creepy. Like sometimes That's it's true. hilarious like in Data's day where like Crusher tells him like when he's dancing to relax, smile and he turns around he's just got this horrific Joker <laughs> smilex gas rictus on his face, but yeah, I, you can see that like okay, well maybe if like, you know, some some uh, cuz uh, maybe if some of his uh, workmates take him in and 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 work with him for I don't know, seven seasons of television, he might get to something the where Data was. But <laughs> it's still a little... I, I couldn't tell if he's primitive compared to Data just because they don't have those kind of stimula stimulations um, or if it's just their little, yeah, little B4, well, they're a little limited. Yeah, last episode they said that nobody's ever quite replicated the science necessary right. to, to recreate data so i assume like all that personality stuff is part of that yeah um they've clearly like modeled him mo modeled f8 physically kind of on data sure, not yeah. in form necessarily but like skin tone sure. the eyes are similar. almost identical yeah. the eyes are very similar so like yeah they're they're trying to get to data tech they just haven't gotten there yet mm -hmm. uh and then we leave the planet uh, Mars, and we head over to Earth on Chateau Picard, and Picard learns what the Zatvash are, and that they hate synthetic life for some reason, and they're kind of, these scenes are kind of intercut with uh, him and Laris searching Dodge's apartment for clues, and they find out that Soji's calling came from somewhere off-world. Yeah, and there's a whole bunch, like, none of this stuff, uh, all this Romulan molecular forensics, uh, it's all total video game stuff, and it's like, 
I love it's where she's like, you know, there. This is so supernaturally well wiped. The only evidence of it is that it's white, and they'll and if uh, they they if they follow Zat Vash procedure, they'll leave a real clue wrapped in a fake clue. And Picard literally is like, like this. It's like, <laughs> okay. And, I mean, just the idea. This is so ingrained in Star Trek. The idea that <laughs> scientists and and and. I don't know, security analysts, mm-hmm. uh, data analysts could, over the course of years, develop methodologies of disguising their presence and hiding data right. and wiping things. And in the course of a conversation in two minutes, Picard and his sidekick can come up with a solution to find the flaw in their system, right? Yeah. And they do, like, I guess that this uh, Romulan lady used to be a Tal Shiar operative. Of some or, renown, like she's and a Zabin's or Zabin's dad was like a recruiter or, or a handler for like the uh-huh. agent. So there's they they these aren't just like you know uh, Joe and Jane Romulan. These right. are like you know Jane Bond Romulans uh, and James Bond Romulans. But but still a lot of that stuff. And I thought some of it was a little interesting, like where they this kind of sounded plausible that like you've got these twin androids and they are. Uh, below their subconscious level communicating and working together in some way and there would be the subspace communications and the i guess the the romulan wiping system would get hung up on the fact that they look and sound identical and there'd be markers for like oh we need not human but romulan review of this material and Mm -hmm. that you could kind of go through this like that okay and especially since they would think that maybe the Federation wouldn't have a person on the inside that would be able to know. Because obviously, you know, Picard was ignorant of a lot of this Romulan espionage technology like you'd expect him to be. So mm-hmm. I think it worked. I mean, there's a couple of things like, you know, Picard just picking up the first thing he said this, like, do you think this could be the clue? Oh, shit, sure. it is. Fuck, what do you know? Uh, maybe cut the commercial break and come and have him come back with tricorders sweeping it and then find it. Maybe. I don't know. But they got 43 minutes and there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen. Yeah. Uh, All right. We head over to the artifact, as it's called, which we know as the busted up board cube, uh, where Soji and Narek are sleeping together. Narek's very open uh, about keeping everything about himself secret. Yeah. He's, they, they, he's not making any bones that he's trying to keep secrets. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that should be a red flag, and I, I think it sort of is for Soji, but not really. So I'm getting the understanding that this Borg artifact is essentially kind of like an international research where it's it's controlled for whatever reason by the Romulans, yeah, but might be in their space. Who knows? It might be in their space, but they're you know I saw Andorans, uh, uh, there's Trill, um, the, the the new person and. This exposition, I thought, went a lot better because it seems, you know, they had a plausible explanation. Like, hey, I've been trying to get here for months and it's my first day on the job. And, you know, Soji's kind of like taking her under her android wing and explaining all this stuff to it. I thought it was really fast how Soji and Narek are just literally, they met and then the first time we see them, they're fucking. Yeah, they had coffee. He explained his sad story and yeah. they're in bed. Yeah, yeah. But he he's, he's very attractive and so is she. So it's like, ah, uh, you know you got a bunch of co-eds on this board cube and everything's kind of dangerous and yeah i mean that's pretty believable the the less believable thing is that she might go back and do this again if yeah she knows he's keeping all these secrets right but i'm just very curious eh. about like what so because they they 
later they'll allude to a nest of these synthetics like yeah. that these these um two or three years ago they got embedded at different parts in the galaxy and they're all working towards some common purpose but it seems like there's a lot more than just two of them mm-hmm. uh, but all this stuff is happening outside of their conscious control um so I, i'm i'm curious to see like what it looks like when soji gets activated mm-hmm. um and what the hell is are, are they actually doing doing there in, in the uh examining this board cube you mentioned the nostalgia uh, that this show is trading in uh, in the first episode. Yeah, there's some sort of manufactured nostalgia in this next scene uh-huh. between Picard and this Moritz Benayoun, <laughs> right? His doctor, who tells him he could have a fatal brain syndrome, and Picard asks him, "Hey, certified me for duty anyway because I need a ship." And the doctor agrees. I think. Can uh, they really not get Gates McFadden? Yeah, this is. This is a doctor that was supposedly serving with him on the Stargazer. Yeah, I think he's like the chief medical officer on the Stargazer is what I understood. Yeah, I understand that we've seen the Stargazer at least once in TNG. Sure, it's established. Uh, But I don't recognize this guy. I mean, I I wouldn't surprise me if this name was mentioned, like if Picard made an offhand reference. But still, I guess... the thesis is he doesn't want to involve his old crew from the Enterprise because he knows that they would literally do anything for them, and this is probably right. going to be bad potentially for their careers. I mean, it's essentially a like a Star Trek three, Star Trek four, where like Kirk's going like, "Hey, it's exa- actually it's exactly like that because Kirk was going to these people and like, "Hey, we're doing this for Spock because mm-hmm. we Spock sacrificed sacrificed himself for all of us, and I think there's a, still a fragment of him out there. So you're putting all of your careers on the line, but I want. So maybe they didn't want to do that, but I don't. Some of some of Picard's rhetoric about like, well, I don't want to put like Worf and Geordi and Riker in jeopardy is is kind of like rings hollow. Like, because I would, I mean, I'd really like to see that. Uh, oh, of course, everyone would. But they probably can't get everybody to commit, and they couldn't make the money yeah. work, and Michael Dorn doesn't want to put the turtle shell on his forehead anymore. <laughs> uh-huh. So uh, we, we've got all this kind of uh, half-ass excuses about why Picard just can't get the, the, the gang back together again and for one last crusade. It might be that in a scene that's already dancing around the topic of Eremotic Syndrome, they mm. don't really want to bring Gates McFadden right. back. They didn't actually mention. It's a little too best or all good things. Yeah, and they 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 stop just short of saying they do the condition, but they hint that it's like it could be any of a half dozen things, but all of them are bad. Yeah. Um. So we asked last week if that was going to be an issue going forward. Absolutely, it's going to be an issue. going Seems forward. like it is. Yeah. Yeah, or at least a threat of it. Um. And then we go to Starfleet with Picard, where he asks an admiral to temporarily reinstate him for a single mission. Unfortunately, Starfleet heard his interview from the last episode, and they're pissed. <laughs> uh, Picard warns the Admiral that they're in danger, but she doesn't believe him, and she denies his request and tells him to go home. Yeah, I guess we're going to keep right on shirking our duties here, Jean-Luc. Mm-hmm. Uh, first ad- first uh, fuck of Star Trek history, the Admiral said... I didn't f- even notice it. I, I saw so either. many people talking about how this episode had a fuck in it, and I was like... Are you talking about Narek and Soji? Because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't catch it. Uh, yeah, no, she dropped the, the sheer fucking hubris, uh, okay. which, which I thought it was great. It was, I like how I like how Picard took this tack of like, uh, you know, considering all the times I've personally saved Earth and the entire Federation, the highly documented uh, series. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want like a, I want to be reinstated for one mission. Give me a small warp capable espionage vehicle. Uh, and if you think it's 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 too much uh, too high profile thing for an admiral, I guess you can demote me. 
And she just comes back with this sheer fucking hubris of you. Like last mm-hmm. week you were kicking us in the balls and now you want a favor because and also like him She's absolutely right. Yeah. And she, when she he says, like, I've been trying to keep out of it. And then his first statement is essentially, I suspect a cybernetic conspiracy that goes all the way to the top of the Romulan. And she's like, oh, so you're actually in all of it. There's no part of it that you're not in. I, all that stuff was pretty good. And I really mm-hmm. like this out. I wish there was a person relationship here um, with the Admiral. Uh, and I, I think you're supposed to understand that they probably do. Like, he probably has a good working relationship. Well, I don't know if it's good anymore. But he's had a working relationship with probably all the brass of, of uh, oh, Starfleet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he'd have to with his his position. Um, but it was cute. Like I said, I, I really I thought maybe it stretches credibility that this young ensign standing underneath the schematic of the, you know, Enterprise D wouldn't recognize Jean-Luc Picard, who was just on the Federation news lambasting the organization, but maybe he does, and he was just giving him shit about it. <laughs> he was ordered to yeah. give him the cold shoulder it's if like, he oh, ever look came at in. this fucker. He's a Romulan lover. Blah, blah. Yeah, I, I love the the flip-flop here between the nostalgia and the, the sheer hubris, right? Because like, yeah. you've got the, the scene where he teleports in, and he looks at Starfleet HQ, and he goes inside, he sees the old ship, and we're yeah. all thinking, oh, it's the return home. He is home, right? Sure. Starfleet is Picard's home. Sure. And then he gets told to go home by Starfleet. Yeah. It's it's really good. It feels like the star quarterback from a college team from 20 years ago going back yeah. to campus, and, and he's expecting that, like, oh, everybody's going to think, but no one even knows who the hell he is. Yeah. It, it's, that, it's that fucking episode of Always Sunny where, <laughs> what is it, uh, where they start the, the drinking game. They oh. go do all the, the pubs in, and I think it's Frank and Dennis go back to his old fraternity. Right. And he's like, I, I used to run this school. Yeah. He he, run and they're shit. just shitting all over it, him. Yeah. Uh, I, I like that. But the, there's also, there's the things like his mental condition because he played this at the end. Like he just ends it with a naked threat to the Admiral. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, after she's already said, you know, fuck you and the high horse you beamed in on. Uh, he pulls the like you ignore me again at your own peril and she's just like completely over it i actually liked how she circled back around even though she has every reason to like hate and and dislike and mistrust this person picard still his opinion carries enough weight that she's going to go and do some homework yeah like well shit you know uh if if there is something to look into maybe i should look into it because he is after all jean-luc picard Uh, and there definitely is something to look into yes it's just the person she's asking is the person she needs to look yeah, into. yeah they, they've already they've already uh captured the director of the central starfleet intelligence operation yeah. so what are you gonna what are you gonna do okay i gotta talk tech for a second okay teleporting teleporter thresholds i'm gonna call them uh-huh like these doorways that sort of yeah. teleport you back and forth uh-huh. how do they stop people from getting telefragged <laughs> because there are several doorways where people walk both in and out there's got to be some kind of like timing circuitry. It's like, well, if there's some kind of matter in the hoop, then it it, it stops the hoop from working. But, but yeah, but it still picks up the pattern buffer and then puts them in because nobody stops. Nobody like waits for a green light or anything. Yeah, you're they right. They just walk straight into it. It, it, it must assume. just be like traffic controlled based on I don't know. Like, what if a butterfly flaps in there at the same time? <laughs> right, it's or... the fly. Just suddenly yeah, yeah. Picard comes out the other side and he's uh-huh. got a fly. Head. He's got these magnificent velvety wings. And yeah, I, I honestly don't know. You're not supposed to think too hard about it. God damn, I want to. Yeah, I know. I want to because it's a cool idea. It's just. Mm-hmm. I want to know the tech behind it. 
so then we go back to the artifact where Soji meets a new recruit as they're being, uh, as they begin their workday in what they call the gray zone, which seems like it's an area of the board cube that is as of yet Still sort of borgy. unsecured. <laughs> yeah. You could, the possibility of being assimilated maybe when you Did go you in see there. That some of the people working on the board cube looked like they were former Borg themselves. Oh, were they? Yeah, like some of the, so there's a there's a person like an overalls, but I don't know if they're like people at this stage. But he mm. was doing some kind of job, and they had like discolored skin grafts over like you know the okay. ocular implants of the board. Like and you Data see them being, did with his his skin at first it, contact. Exactly, and you see that like uh, the the person undergoing deborgification surgery. So it's like, but they they talk like this thing that Soji's doing is some kind of like pie in the sky you know, resurrection reclamation project. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, so are these Borg not all that they've had, they've, they've removed the, uh, uh, kind of like, I guess seven of nine was like, they, they, they got her and they removed all of her shit or all the stuff that they could, but she was still very much a Borg drone and yeah. kind of gradually lost her connection to it. But I, I don't, the other thing is like, I bailed out at, on Voyager about when seven of nine showed up. Yeah. So I'm sure there's tons of Borg lore that I'm not. Cause like, what I remember the Borg is as soon as a Borg cube gets compromised from a collective standpoint, they blow it up. Mm -hmm. So it's like the Borg detected something happened on this. The Borg severed the contact, but it, they didn't blow up. Instead, yeah. they were all placed in some kind of weird stasis. And now they're, you know, but but like it is a menacing thing, because what if the collective does decide to reestablish contact or mm -hmm. You know, and we've also in, in Next Generation, you know, Lore was leading like this Borg faction of Borg separatists. Like Borg disconnected to, from the continuum can still be dangerous. Um, well, they seem to have done a lot of research already. Yeah. Uh, this is, I think it's called Borg Artifact Research Institute. Right. Um, which kind of trains the new recruits and stuff. And like he, you know, mentioned some very specific details about why it's disconnected and how it becomes disconnected mm -hmm. um, when something particular goes offline. That's and, the moment. So they know a lot about it. Yeah. And they have these uh, tags they wear. They're like, remind me like dosimeters you wear in a nuclear facility. And it's uh -huh. like, if this thing turns, starts flashing green, it means the collective have reestablished contact and you need to run. Yeah. Um, it's kind of cool. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And I designed, it says this facility has gone <laughs> 5,843 days without an assimilation. I saw that. That That's was great. pretty, that was pretty cute. So it's, it's yeah. been, um, it's one of those things where it's like, a dangerous situation but it's a stable dangerous situation that like people like soji uh are already kind of dismissing the routine safety concerns and her, she's all about getting you know rehabilitating the xbs is what they call the ex borg people apparently yeah then we go back to chateau picard where dr gerardi's visiting at picard's request to give him some information she has on maddox and also uh she has some information on dodge as well she says that Dodge's identity was probably constructed three years ago, possibly by Maddox, but she's not sure why. And then Gerardi asks the obvious question about this other uh, twin that Picard has already wondered, where is she and what mm -hmm. is she after? Yeah, it looks like they're, the, the, the two daughters were being placed in highly, uh, highly respected and influential places where they're doing artificial intelligence or cybernetic research. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Daystorm Institute, uh, Institute versus the Borg Artifact, you know, Science Center or whatever you called it. I research institute. I know you don't, you didn't care for her in that first episode, but I really hope Doctor Gerardi ends up on the ship. 
that Picard hopefully gets. She's got to. Yeah. Because otherwise they've established multiple characters that they're just going to discard before the end of the season. She says she wishes she could have met Dodge and like, well, you can, you can meet Soji. Sure. I I really want her on board. I like her. What did you think about, uh, on a a scale from cute to too cute, Picard disowning science fiction? Uh, It's fine. Picard yeah. has never struck me as a sci-fi guy. Yeah, he's, he's about history. He's, he's about Shakespeare, ships, and Shakespeare philosophy. And, he doesn't have yeah. time for this uh, this science fiction. Shit. Absolutely. Plus, what what would science fiction even look like in the 24th century? I mean, it would exist. I'm sure. It'd be it's like just... post, probably post singularity type stuff because they yeah. already have like all the things. 99% of what we think of as of modern sci, you know, galaxy spanning civilizations and unimaginably mm-hmm. powerful weapons and terraforming and faster than light travel, matter replication. They got it. They got it all. There'd probably be a lot of time travel stuff, a lot of uh, what if they're, they're, dimensional stuff. Or like mystical things. Like there's uh, like Harry uh-huh. Potter type uh, science fiction going on. Why, what does that even mean? I'm not. Well, it's just like I, does this Federation, this Federation, which is, seems like it's a secular institution. Um, but does also respect local religions and customs. Like, is there mm-hmm. a uh, a fascination with mysticism? Like, is that the science fiction technology? Like, all, all their all their technology that, as Asimov would say, is indistinguishable from magic because it's so advanced, mm-hmm. is like real magic. Uh, back in fashion, I don't know. Yeah, because it's never really left our our fashion. So true. Uh, she also drinks Earl Grey tea, and she's reading that The Complete Robot by Isaac Asimov. Like, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's a little cute in here, but honestly, I'm okay with it. Then we head back to the artifact where Soji helps to disassemble several Borg, but she displays a lot of empathy for them, and I wrote down, Narek will remember that. Mm. Yeah, they're like the the Romulan surgeon who's removing these or calling the... I I didn't understand the problem, because she's not... um, these people are nameless and a lot of the people they don't even know what species they're from because they're from another quadrant in the galaxy that we haven't explored we as you know Starfleet I I, I consider myself a member of Starfleet yeah uh, that we haven't explored yet so like we have no we, had, we have no idea what these species uh, are what planet they're from they're mm-hmm. just like these individuals that they're that they're have been in stasis for 14 years and they're one by one deborgifying them so I didn't understand what Soji's objection to calling them nameless is like do, do you should you christen them tommy i, I mean look at voyager right you yeah. just assigned a number to a species sure uh seven of nine is still called seven of nine as a personal name like <laughs> right well it's all arbitrary like we could ask the borg because yeah. after the borg don't seem like they have an opinion on it as of yet but mm-hmm. a lot of body horror there too like that removing of the ocular implants and stuff pretty grisly shit it was yeah um I, I was wondering in this scene about Soji and her sort of empathy for the Borg here. Like, is this intentionally programmed into her personality or is this some kind of emergent quality from being around the Borg, uh, doing what she does? Well, she's or is subconsciously like, aware of her own makeup and... Right, right. Yeah. How much of how much of her is activated at this point? Yeah, yeah. And I'm not sure we have an answer yet. Nope. Uh, so then we go back to Chateau Picard where John Luke pulls his communicator out of storage and contacts someone named Rafi for a ship. Not much to say on that one, so let's Mm-mm. keep moving. Admiral Clancy contacts... But that, that's a moment. Like him slapping is, the communicator yeah. on his chest and just coming from the visitor, like, you know, tin, the tin badge he was wearing before. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's played as a moment, him slapping that thing back on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's like 
that's one of the updated ones. That's not the the style of yeah, communicator it's not the TNG, TNG era. Might it's like have, after first contact stuff. Yeah, it might have been like a Nemesis era because uh, it had yeah. like squared corners. I'd have to go back and I look. I think it was but... Generations that introduced that one. Did they? Okay. Maybe. Yeah, the, the movies, I think, for TNG did that. Uh, so then we go to Admiral Clancy contacting Commodore O, presumably this an intelligence officer of some kind. They don't really say mm-hmm. who she is, but Starfleet Intelligence. Uh, to ask if there's any valid- validity to Picard's claim of Romulan activity on Earth. The Commodore tells her, no, I don't think so. That sounds stupid. I noticed on her <laughs> on her desk, um, so she looks like a Vulcan. She could be uh, a Romulan because they kind of look, the mm-hmm. only thing that distinguishes them is the Romulans uh, still are a passionate people, whereas the, shoulder the Vulcans. Pads. That's what distinguishes them. <laughs> um but I noticed that she has one of those uh, infinite diversity, infinite combinations logos on her desk, which has kind of like been adopted as the flag or heraldry for Vulcans. So you're supposed to understand. Hmm, I don't recognize it. Yeah, if I point it out, I'm sure it's like like this triangular motif with us like pointing into the center of a circle. Um, and it's something that like in the third season of Star Trek, mm-hmm. Spock just ostentatiously mentioned uh, as something that was valuable to Vulcans because they were trying to sell Vulcan merch. Um, but it's since then been kind of okay. like you know put as like an important piece of kind of like the same, same way that the Federation planets is kind of like a galactic map with the you know the holly surround the laurel surrounding it like mm-hmm. that this is like the symbol for Vulcan so you're supposed to understand that she's a Vulcan but is she a Vulcan because we're later going to find out an instant uh, Rizzo that looks human but has had her ears rounded off. Mm-hmm. I would think it would be harder to to uh, hide a person like that, but I've personally seen Riker running around on a planet with shit on his forehead, and he's supposed to pa- and mittens. Yeah, his, but his like, alien like... disguise was shit glued on his face, and he wore mittens. Right, but usually that's in <laughs> primitive civilizations. True. Here we're talking about the Federation. They're getting beamed. You could you beamed could... all the time. Right. You cannot recognize like. Mm-hmm. Don't we have a Neo in the crowd who can recognize a pattern buffer or a link or a tank or something? Yeah, and like, and McCoy is always bitching in the old series about this damn Vulcan physio. Like, like, right. there's got to be different. at least a pattern buffer. Like, are you the species you say they are? Like, that's like, you know, yeah. I don't know. You would think so. Sometimes you gotta. That I like. I noticed Star Trek likes to stop. Forget about the 24th century and just like, well, mm-hmm. yeah, it worked in the 21st century like this, so whatever, you know. Yeah. Absolutely, they do. Uh, but you're supposed to just kind of roll with that. Uh, but I wonder if she's an actual Vulcan. Is she a Vulcan that's sympathetic with whatever this, um, you know, uh, super Talshiar is doing? Because, I, I, like, why would... What did, the, what did the Romulans do to turn the head of the Starfleet intelligence apparatus against Starfleet? And how long has she been working for them? Yeah, I mean, they're clearly undercover. How long has that been the case? I don't know. I'm assuming that they're they are Zotvash. Like, I think this is our introduction to the Zotvash organization. Hmm. Well, yes, clearly the like Lieutenant uh, Rizzo and uh, Nasir, Nasir, Nadir. Oh, uh, the the Romulan Cumber- guy, the, the brother and sister. We found out they're brother and sister. They're the what'd you call that? It's not the Tal Shiar, it's the Z- Zatvash. Zatvash. But they mentioned that like uh, Commodore Ro or Commodore O is like one of their more valuable recruits. So I think Oh, okay. She's re- working with them, but I think she was like true at some point true blue for the Federation. 
Okay. But you also wonder, you know, because like um, they mention uh, in, in the with the conversation with Admiral Clancy that she's like, you know, when we decided to cut the Romulans loose, we had 14 influential species saying that it was like either Romulans or us. Mm-hmm. It's easy to see that maybe there are parts in the upper echelons of the Federation. It's like, hey, we can either sit here and quote unquote do the right thing and watch the Federation get por- torn apart or we can like i don't know start a synthetic revolution on mars and destroy a bunch of ships so you no longer have the capability anyway and then uh I, hmm. like like manufacture a way for the federation to shirk their duty with honor um or at least plausible like hey what what are we to do you know our hands were tied i'm wondering if they're going towards that kind of high level political machination yeah that's really not picard's starfleet anymore yeah. If that's oh no. The case. Yeah. Um, but uh, I did. So there was some criticism. Um, did you see the Red Letter Media discussion of Picard? No. I was a little disappointed. I liked the Red Letter Media guys. Um, they were pretty influential. Um, you know, when they started doing their thing, as far as like having me thinking about popular media in a more thoughtful way. But I don't know about because like their take was. I don't like that the Federation has been reduced to this racist, xenophobic institution. I don't think that Starfleet is racist or xenophobic necessarily. I mean, in like the the camera crew running around Picard, there's like six different alien species, and it's clearly Federation is still a yeah. huge tent. It's more like fuck the Romulans in particular because mm-hmm. they're like an old bitter enemy. Yeah, like I don't think you can construe. It, it it's kind of like uh, I don't think you can construe the abandonment of the, the the Romulans to their fate to like oh the Federation just hates aliens now this isn't like the fucking no they make it clear in this episode it's political pressure from fourteen yeah. other races yeah this isn't the Galactic Empire where Palpatine just hates other races for some reason so like yeah. I I want I think we should it's 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 good to push back on that that this isn't from it'd be very easy for uh, for Picard to look crazy when he's like, oh, this isn't my Starfleet. And they're like, what are you talking about? It's just the Romulans. We've been at war with them for a century. Yeah, they've been instigators. And we were trying in the middle of trying to save them. The robots went crazy and half our fleet got destroyed. And what are we like? It's yeah. it's it's got to be it, it's it's the political. I think the political situation in the Starfleet at the turn of the 25th century is a lot smart. It's one of the smarter things that they've done with the show. It feels plausible to me. Mm-hmm. Plus. There's tons of stories uh, in Star Trek about like different factions within the Federation going rogue. Like, what was the one sec- I, section yeah. thirty one or whatever? Oh yeah, right. That was like literally like this black ops of Federation. Uh-huh. I mean, it's. I mean, a lot of uh, admirals and and Federation uh, muckety mucks were taken over by right. some aliens. Right. And turned out to be sleeper agents. Like. Right. There was a lot of shit like that. No, I mean, as much as I would love to see a, uh, a reconstituted next generation of old ass Picard warping around and giving lectures to societies trying to keep children in border wall cages and going to the mm-hmm. trans people planet and seeing what they're all about. And what's the thing about the Federation? It's and, always and, struck me as a very tenuous thing anyway yeah. because of the different philosophies sure. of all of the the races and species under its you know purview it's like how do you keep together an organization of people who have extremely differing opinions on everything well the one thing that helps is they they get to choose the time and manner of first contact so it's mm-hmm. like they don't they don't go to uh you know in fact that's one of the things they i think that they consider is like how willing is this culture to embrace something like the federation um and it's true yeah so 
it probably helps that they can kind of pick and choose who they make contact with and when, and the timing of that is, is yeah, probably but then the evolution of societies has to be something yeah. to consider, you know? Yeah, like, hey, they haven't gone through their 21st century eugenics war where they just have to hate everybody and kill. They, they, they need, to, they oh, need I... to get sick of war before we go and... and <laughs> I'm and... talking about even evolution after the fact. Like, you invite somebody into the Federation. Right. Those societies are going to evolve in different directions, potentially. Yeah. How do you hold that all together? That's a great question. I think we're seeing some of the fallout from that. Yeah, and there's a lot of, seems like there's a lot of tit-for-tat policies. Like, you know, part of it is just like any other, like, uh, well, you got to keep the Andorans happy because Mm -hmm. they are the leading supplier of the lithium. And boy, if you piss them off, then your ships are going to run out of warp drive. And yeah, there's a lot of, um, you know, galactic politics going on here. Same power dynamics that we experience. Exactly. Uh, Okay, go back to Chateau Picard. Loris is set up at, uh, or sorry, upset at Jean-Luc for wanting to go on this mission. He says he has no choice. It's just, you know, it's important not just to him, but many, many people. Uh, She tells him to go on the mission and take Zabin so they can die together. Mm -hmm. And then Jean-Luc says he's already made the call to find a new crew. And this is the scene where, you know, he says he can't call you know, Riker, Worf, LaForge, any of that. How to find someone that hates you but has nothing to lose. Because that's yeah. the thing. It's like, you know, if, you, if someone hates you and has nothing to lose, that doesn't mean you're going to get them to go on your your damn fool idealistic crusade. No. Like, they got to have something to gain, too. Uh, you have to, uh, you, and, and it seems like maybe with this um, uh, person that he's there to talk to, um, Rafi. Rafi, maybe it's a hatred for Romulans. Mm hmm. Because that seems to be the thing that that, that calms her down. That and, and, the and a love Picard. of wine, yeah. yeah. His love particular vintage, love of wine. H- hate hate the knife ears, <laughs> <laughs> and that's going to get the job done. Yeah. Uh, so we move on to Commodore O berating Lieutenant Rizzo for bungling the capture of Dodge, and reminding her that they have only one more opportunity to interrogate a synthetic, and everything is at stake. They use this this term everything and all, and like they're they're really trying to impress upon you the stakes to all of this and i don't know why because i don't know what their goal is but very important to them there's two of them so but they also refer to a nest so there's not Mm -hmm. just two of them but maybe there's two of them they're actually out working around and they they have one more shot at finding the nest maybe because this may be their last lead yeah um and yeah they could dead end on them I, I liked how there's like um you come out Commodore O was like busting her over the sloppiness of the the the, the stuff that we saw that um Picard and and the uh, Romulan Laris was was mm-hmm. uh, like the fact that they didn't take out the blast reflected blaster fire from this like shiny brass banister yeah you know there's like there's there's they're try- trying to move very fast and they're breaking things and they don't get it quite you know, up, up to professional snuff. And maybe we're supposed to get the idea that this Lieutenant Rizzo is a little brash and sloppy. Um, they intimate that she's the one that led the strike team that caused all this, that, that, that bungled Man, it in the first place. I think this is a very confusing scene when not paired with the, the final scene. Okay. Because I, so I rewound and rewound and rewound and listened to this thing over and over again to try and determine, okay, are they Zadvash? Are they Romulans? Are they undercover agents? Or are they part of Starfleet working on an undercover operation to to collect Dodge and find out where the nest is? Like, I was just trying to put all the pieces together, and I eventually got it. And then I watched the last scene. I was like, oh, well, fuck. I should have just waited <laughs> five right. minutes, and I would have known it all. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't know. The... 
the next scene is John Luke going to see Rafi, who is initially hostile until he tells her that the Romulans are, you know, they're secret Romulan assassins operating on Earth. How much does it take to take a? Sh- how much does it cost to take a shuttle taxi out to the desert? Because nothing, I assume. Oh yeah, you're Federation right. Federation society. You're right. Um, it's just like they've got these like giant shuttlecraft thing, Mark taxi. It's like I, I, was, th- I was just thinking like, hmm, what would the cost? I mean, clearly it's probably free because there's no money in the Federation, but like, yeah, still, why not just beam out there? She might not. Yeah, I don't know why you couldn't beam out there. To get back would be harder, I would think. Yeah, and also, like, I, it kind of blew my mind that Picard was able to beam into uh, uh, the, the Daja's quarters, her private personal quarters. That, And I was like, well, yeah. I guess it wouldn't be under police. It wouldn't be, like, roped off for police because the story is that Dodge never existed and there was nothing, anything that happened in this apartment. So mm-hmm. maybe it's just an empty building. and I don't know. Yeah. If, you, if, you're, if, if the federations there's no money you just walk by and there's an empty apartment you like you just go in and like claim it yeah <laughs> let's not get too deep down that rabbit yeah, hole let's not the economics of the federation Let, are... let's not it's not going to do anyone any damn good <laughs> it won't uh so we get to the final scene the artifact uh where rizzo checks in on Narek to make sure the operation's on track and deliver a warning she asks if he's learned the location of the nest of the synthetics mm-hmm. or anything at all really and she makes it very clear that she's on her way there, and if no progress has been made when she arrives, she's going to implement her own approach. Nope. So Lieutenant Rizzo is a Romulan who's the sister, older sister of Narek. Yes. And she's letting him do the sedu- seduction game because he thinks that's the fastest way to get the information out of Sophie. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, not Sophie. Soji. Soji. Um, mm-hmm. And she's skeptical, but she's already fucked up her half of the I, it's just funny her coming in and rolling tough on him because it's like the ultimate answer is like well the only reason i'm in this position and i'm under a lot of stress and pressure is because you fucked up your operation mm-hmm. you know if you had done yours like you know right then i wouldn't be in this position so i don't know she also threatens him threatens him and says that your survival is the most important to me of anyone except for my own mm-hmm. So she's going to be willing to cut him loose if he doesn't doesn't make progress. I wonder what that'll if that'll change his approach dealing with Soji at all. Is he going to start playing? I don't know. Good Romulan more pressure on hot or hot Romulan, bad Romulan with yeah, her. Yeah, I mean he's on a, a time uh, time timer here. Because it's like the other thing is like the these uh, Zatbat people or what what a Zaphod Beeblethrox is is uh, that they were talking a lot of mess when they were trying to round up Dodge about like has she activated yet? Is she activated? Yeah. That must be, so there must be a, a, something that they're waiting. And once they activate, it'll be too late, but they must not know the exact date or time that they activate because it's something they're talking about and speculating and worrying about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I still want to know, you know, the answer to the big question I have is why do the Romulans hate AI so much? And why are they, well, I know why they're looking for this nest, but the core of that is why do they hate AI? And I hope we get at that question, and it's not just left as, well, the Romulans hate AI. Yeah. No, it has to be some kind of, like, in science fiction, there's usually some kind of massive war where the artificial intelligence almost wipes out the organics, and then the organics swear, never again will we... Will we... we I, we're not privy to that and no one's mentioned it it's like right well if the romulans were almost wiped out by their own civilization's ai wouldn't everyone know about that but they're I get so it, secretive that i get that it's secret but like yeah you know, it, uh, it beggars the imagination that 
like Zobin like the Vulcans or Laris wouldn't mention the Did fact. this happen after the Vulcans and Romulans split as a society? Right. Did the Vulcans not know? Uh, are there there's no spies in the Rom? I mean, we've seen spies. I mean, shit, yeah. I've seen uh, Counselor Troy dress up as a Romulan and spy. Like, the, none of this has ever been uncovered before. No, and and, and Loris and Zabin would almost certainly know what happened uh, because it happened. It had to have happened before yeah. the Martian attack. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm I'm super curious. What but a lot of the stuff is also based in in like you know uh, Cold War era spying, where like there was shocking things that we did not know about the Russians that just because like there's cultural blind spots, you know, like you mm-hmm. try as you might want to think about the enemy, but you're still approaching their plans and their technology from your perspective, and a lot of times that allows you to like I just saw something um, today where for the longest time in the Cold War, the Soviets thought there was something very special about the building in the middle of the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. Like, this must be some kind of super secret, like, uh, hardened communication center because, like, all these top brass, they go in there and they're going in and out every day. It's the, it, was, it was the, like, hot dog stand. Okay. Uh, so everybody goes yeah. at the same, you know, and they, they, they go to their hot dogs. That they, they, the Soviets couldn't even conceive of that. So they thought that they, you know, this is something. So, like, it happens and... Maybe mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense in the 24th century because of all this stealth technology and stuff yeah. that they've got, but weird shit happens, and since it does in our life, then they extrapolate it to happen in Star Trek life, too. Well, and- they have to do something in this show, in my opinion, to humanize the Romulans. They've got to oh. let us know why the Romulans are doing what they're doing, make them at least somewhat sympathetic, mm-hmm. because I really dislike... The, the, most of the time... I really dislike a very opaque villain. Yeah. I, I want to know why the villain is doing the things they're doing and, and what motivates them. Don't want another Game of Thrones situation where it's like, no. oh, it's going to be good, it's going to be good, and then you never... But but yeah, because it's also... It's a huge mystery because it's something that the Romulans are willing to almost die as a civilization to protect. Mm-hmm. Like, like, whatever that they are trying to head off must from their perspective be a rational attractive like like the yeah. 95% of them dying and their homeworld being destroyed is a preferable alternative to whatever they were trying to sabotage and prevent right that's insane like what in the hell yeah, could that a, possibly it's an us or be them kind of mentality right yeah yeah there must be something just sheer just tear and they 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 do lean into that like uh mm-hmm. uh Picard's Romulan fa- fa- um friend mentions that it's a it's a fear and a dread and yeah. a phobia like it's a built terror. in but why is it built in exactly that's what i want to know yeah i hope we get there uh i have one more piece of tech talk okay long distance zero delay holographic communication <laughs> subspace communication baby is it possible i because i've seen starfleet communicate with the enterprise when it's been out near the neutral zone like mm-hmm. on the edge of the neutral zone um in like season three, which is the season I've been watching of TNG, there's a two hour delay on that communication. Mm. How is there no delay? Because there's no way that this cube is within Federation limits, right? Yeah, I think it's a to do with like they have this concept of subspace station relays where they essentially relay the communication packets faster than light. Um, Why wouldn't Picard use that when he's on a timer and needs there to not be a two hour? Because at the Romulan neutral zone, they de- they're not allowed to have those like communication stations there. But you'd think they'd be, yeah. I mean, I, I'm 
I don't know. They're Apparently clearly after not the Romulans got destroyed, maybe the Federation went in there and put some subspace relays as a humanitarian and now they're mm-hmm. uh, piggybacking on the uh, on the shadow of the phase relay when they flip the Binzang ring, rings and realign the polarity. Yeah. Uh, oh, they wait. Did, the was there a, a deflector dish anywhere around? Huh? Was there a deflector dish anywhere nearby? I, there's, I I'm mean, sure they can make that happen. Yeah, you throw a wrench in space, and you're going to hit three deflector dishes, right. of course. And they just they just attenuated the deflector dish uh, of differently, course. and it, of was, course. it was fine. Okay. They just they flushed out the Bassard ramjet scoops <laughs> right. uh, with elemental hydrogen. and Oh, they sent the communications back in time. That's there how you do you it. There you go. They slingshot the communication around, around the, the sun. sun. <laughs> yep. Had the whales uh, uh, pass along their singing network, mm-hmm. and Bob's your uncle, real-time holographic teleportation. Perfect. Okay, that's about all I got for this episode. We got some feedback. Would you like to consider it? Yeah, let's do it. If you'd like to send feedback, you can do so uh, by by uh, a humpback whale telegram sent to Picard at baldmove.com. First up, Joshua, you guys had some questions, so I want to clarify the timelines to my understanding. Uh, The year 2379, 20 20 years before now, is when Nemesis took place, the events of Star Trek Nemesis, the last TNG-era movie. Between these dates, uh, they knew about the Romulan sun failing and put together this large rescue fleet. The fleet was being built on Mars at Utopia Planitia. Picard left the Enterprise to command this rescue fleet. Then the synths destroyed the fleet and essentially most of everything else on Mars, and the Federation turned their back on their promise. And that was 14 years ago. That was 14 years ago. And the year 2387, the Romulus sun went supernova, destroying the Romulans. So this is eight years after Nemesis. Around this time, Picard essentially retired in protest during uh, due to the lack of relief effort. And the year 2399 is when Picard takes place. One of the things I love about Star Trek is the open canvas the setting can be for modern day issues. Star Trek as a place. Uh, I heard one Star Trek podcast describe it this way. For Picard, I'm seeing Brexit, Syrian, or any refugees, nationalism, and isolationism playing a part in the season. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, like, mm-hmm. a lot has been made recently of how America and our allies have architected this giant global system of interdependent uh you know, alliances and economic spheres. And for some reason, in 21st century, we want to run away screaming from the thing that we've carefully architected for generations. Yeah. Um, and it seems like they're, they're trying to do exactly that on, on this, this, uh, particular, uh, what would you call it? The incarnation of star Trek. Mm -hmm. All right. Chris, on the first episode, you spent some time talking about the digital media and how it would look when you didn't require physical items. I've always thought it was interesting that Star Trek basically predicted voice assistants such as computer do something, but not the internet. Uh, I had an opportunity to preview voice assistants for Android way back in 2010. I thought you might be interesting to know that back then the prototype was activated by saying not, hey, Google, but hey, Majel, as in Majel Roddenberry, the voice of the ship's computer and, of course, wife nice. of, of Gene. Yep. That is cool. Uh, it shows you uh, how kind of especially in nerd sphere like how influential star trek is to if not the technology like how the technology is expressed oh yeah i mean smartphones are sort of a a tricorder analog yeah a lot Uh, of ways yeah before the they they were especially old series analog because that you know before they had the touch communicators they had the flip phone Mm -hmm. you know uh, kirk was using motorola blade razor blades and stuff 
Uh, Jay, last email. Here's what's troubling me at the end of episode two. Hasn't anyone in the Picard slash Star Trek universe seen the Terminator movies or Battlestar Galactica TV shows? Can't we all just agree that creating artificial sentient human beings that are more intelligent and stronger than humans than giving them free will is a bad thing and never ends well for us humans? No. Why on earth would you create or allow this type of research in the first place? Maybe the ancient Romulans discussed in Picard episode two were right. Yes, thousands of these artificial superhuman creatures that never eat, sleep, or get tired might be benign like data or adhere to Asimov's rules of robotics, it only takes one with a Hitler or a Stalin short circuit to turn into Skynet or Legion or Cylon number six. Jim, How is it, discuss. Okay. I don't understand why this would be any different than inviting another civilization into the Federation. Like yes. if they're like those are all autonomous consciousnesses. Yes, uh, Gorn are stronger, physically more robust right. than us. The Vulcans are uh, more uh, more advanced in their cognition and and uh, it comes reason. down to how we treat them. Like if we went up to if we went to the Klingons and uh-huh. we tried to fuck with them, they would fuck right back with us. Mm-hmm. Like if as long as we don't fuck with the machines we're creating, yeah, we shouldn't have anything to fear. I don't understand why there's an inherent fear of artificial intelligence. I mean, I understand it because it's going to be better than us in many, many ways. Yeah, I mean, but so, that doesn't mean it wants to kill us necessarily, right? But I also think that you've you've discussed many times how you've kind of made peace with the fact that like AI or some kind of artificial intelligence will probably replace humanity. If it does, I'm totally cool with that. Yeah. And in the exact same way that like Homo sapiens replaced the more primitive version of their ancestors on the, our family tree. Right. Like, you know, it's, it's just a manner, uh, and this is a different type of evolution. And I, I find the same way, but like, um, I do think that it does bear a lot of thinking about how we're, we're getting to the point where we have to thought thoughtfully think about how we develop artificial intelligence, because you do mm-hmm. want to it to do the things you want to do. And I think that, the other thing that maybe uh, Jay, you might be missing here is that um, a lot of times these things are not designed, you know, with the ability to get to do the things that they do. They are, they are emergent qualities of making a smart machine. It's mm-hmm. like you think you make a machine at, at it's kind of like when you're raising children and you know, under three and four, you relate with them at a certain way, and then like ten years later, oh shit, they're people with their own opinions and. Um, and like what Jim says, like how you've treated them is probably how they're going to treat you back. But I don't know, like artificial intelligence, if done correctly, can usher a golden age to humanity. Like that's the whole reason mm-hmm. people are fascinated with it and why, you know, uh, the, w- why they pursue it, because it could free humans from drudgery. It could, uh, you know, like right now, uh, a lot of things like what kills you in a hospital is sometimes a disease, but it's often just medical mistakes and errors that anyone can do because they're human. Uh, a robot wouldn't, you know, leave its scissors inside of you or wouldn't remove the wrong organ. Uh, you know, there's a lot of benefits to having AI assisted and AI, you know, uh, things that they can just take care of. Driving. Like, absolutely. As soon as we get auto self-sufficient driving worked out, we should switch it over because it's going to be inherently more safer than humans driving around in the cars. Um, it's crazy. It's like it's funny to me that like uh, the media is reporting like this new coronavirus and death toll like every day, like it's some kind of thing when 100 people a day get killed by cars in the United States. Like, yeah, you know, like. Yet anytime self-driving cars is written about, it's always about like, oh, that one time where it didn't break fast enough and killed the guy that darted onto the street. Or, right. Yeah. 
I don't know. We as humans are really bad at risk risk analysis and and reward analysis. Yeah, I, I just don't. I I don't know. I I don't have the same fear in my mind, irrational fear of artificial intelligence that a lot of people do. Because yeah. if you know, it, it all comes down to: Are we trying to create a, an intelligence that we can enslave, or are we trying to create an intelligence that can be autonomous? Uh-huh. And I think that's where you run into trouble is trying to create an intelligence that you can force to do your bidding. Yeah. Because in the course of forcing it to do the things you want it to do, right? It's naturally going to feel exploited, mm-hmm. as you would, right? It's it's going to feel like it's a slave, and that's that is what that is what would cause a, an artificial intelligence yeah to come back and try and kill us well i also think that like even if you treat the artificial intelligence with like respect and um you know mutual cooperation there's always a chance that it's going to eventually look at us the way we've looked at civilizations throughout the where it's like well you know maybe it sucks that this has happened to them but like better them than us or you know, uh-huh. uh, like we make that call all the time to to like immiserate societies because we want inexpensive cell phones, for example. Um, right. And I think what a lot of fear is coming from is that like uh, the artificial intelligences that we create will look at humans the exact same way that we've looked at humans. That's that's, that's a that's real a risk. Very sure. scary thing. Um, and, you know, that's why I think that that that. I hope the people that are developing AI, AI right now are, are are seriously considering that before it becomes because I think we're probably several decades away from like truly thinking machines. Uh, but oh, yeah. it's you, you don't want to wait till the day after you invent one to think about oh gee I wonder how we should go about that or what kind of safeguards or controls or yeah also sh- how should we just treat things um, what what are ethics and morals when it comes to this but. The fact that like people are just going to like not agree to not investigate artificial intelligence, it's just a, it's, bit of it. it's just the same way. It's, it's like a, it's a foolish thing to think. The, yeah. the incentives are too uh, powerful. Just like the nuclear bomb, like uh, it was everyone knew is a horrible thing that we were investigating, but also it had to be investigated because mm-hmm. it has a lot of upside. And if you don't, someone else is going to. Exactly. And then then what? So yeah. Uh, that's it for feedback. If you'd like to send us more, subspace communication relays are open at Picard at baldmove.com. That's it for us this week. We'll be back next week with the the next episode, the third episode. Until then, I'm Aaron. I'm Jim. Live long and prosper. 